You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. There's a pastor down in Alexandria, Virginia by the name of Howard John Wesley. He pastors a historic African-American Baptist church called Alfred Street Baptist Church. And uh, just like you probably have your favorite preachers to listen to, so do preachers. We have our pr- favorite preachers to listen to. And I'm a musician, and, and one thing about music is when you, uh, I'm a jazz musician, and one thing is when you try to get better at music, you listen to the greats, right? You listen to Wayne Shorter or Winton Kelly, or you listen to the current people, and they rub off on you, right? You're supposed to listen to them and imitate them. Well, this week, I have to thank Howard John Wesley, that pastor, because I have been listening to him for years, even before I got to D.C., and so his sermon uh, has rubbed off on me. I owe him some credit before I start, you know. Um, He tells this story. Years ago, when he was a teenager, his father began to teach him how to drive, how to navigate traffic patterns, how to leave enough room between him and the car in front of him, how to respond to different traffic situations, how to use his gas how to use his acceleration, how to use his blinker and his mirrors. And in the midst of this process, when he was 16 or 15, there came a time for a family road trip all the way from Chicago, where they lived, down to Memphis, down I-55. And his dad told him, Howard, you are going to drive us down to Memphis, your mother and I, because you need some hours behind the wheel. You need to learn the interstate and how to drive with some speed, etc. You need some time. And, And Pastor Wesley tells the story of... He recalls the beginning of the drive and getting used to it, and about a half hour in, he turns to his right to look at his father, who is sound asleep. (laughs) And uh, Pastor Wesley's mother in the back of the the car noticed this as well. And when she noticed this, she placed her hand upon her husband's shoulder and shook him awake and said, Alvin, wake up. Howard is driving. How are you going to be asleep? You got to be watching him when he drives. He's He's 16. Howard's father turned back to her, and this is what he said. He said, the reason that I can sleep is because I trust him. That's a word for somebody today. The pastor said, when you trust who's driving, you ought to be able to rest. If you know who's in control, then you can sit back and put it to rest. Some vivid uh, memories of my childhood or was when I was a kid, our family had some family friends and they owned a farm in the countryside. And I wasn't a country boy, but I could pretend to be on those days when I went and visited the farm and I explored and I rode four-wheelers and I worked the farm. And I remember at the end of those days being so exhausted and I would settle into the back seat and my dad would be in the driver's seat. And there was that sound, you know, that beautiful sound of being in a car at night with no radio on. It's just tires and road, and I would drift off to sleep because I knew my father was in control of the vehicle. I could let myself rest. The story reminds me also of a famous story of Jesus who, when he was laying in the bottom of a boat asleep, a storm rose up and his disciples woke him up and they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? See, when you know who's in control, you can sleep in the midst of a storm. The Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives those he loves sleep. 
This image of sleeping and resting in God's powerful presence and control of our lives is one that we as a people, I think, struggle with in great measure. We are a people who are often restless. We're often anxious and fearful and depleted and feel like we have no margins left in our life. We have a hard time putting things to rest and embracing the fact that we are, in fact, not in the driver's seat, but are, in fact, passengers in life. And I lump myself in with that characterization because I am a constantly recovering, restless, and anxious person. You can just ask the people who know me best. Sometimes I want God to give me sermons of which I'm only an expert in. (laughs) But what God teaches me over and over again is that he wants me to preach as a learner and as a student. And that's okay because people get anxious and people get fearful throughout all time and place. Just go read the Bible, right? Just go read the Psalms. Half of them are like therapist sessions. (laughs) Morning and noon and night I utter my complaint before God. There's something about our restlessness in life that transcends our ethnicity, our culture, our season, our time. Because in the Bible from the very first page is a story about rest. Rest as an integral part of what creation is. But also since the fall, a story about anxiety and anxious toil in our work. Rest is an integral part of who God is and what God wants for his people. And I was trying to think about what I was going to preach for this Sunday because Russ preached on Exodus 28 last week. And he said, when I get back in a few weeks, because Russ is, he's taking a rest right now, as he often does in August. So we honor his rest as he prepares for another ministry year. But he said, when I get back in a few weeks, I just want to be at Exodus 34. So I had to figure out how to get from Exodus 29 (laughs) to Exodus 34. And recently I was reading through these texts and these verses struck me. Because here's where we are in the book of Exodus. I'm going to give you a brief outline. You'll be ready to take a quiz after this. Exodus 1 through 15, God brings the people out of Egypt, right? Exodus 16 through 19, God leads them through some wilderness up to Mount Sinai, right? There's the manna story, the striking of water, the rock with the water. And they get to Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, God comes down, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And then God takes Moses up on the mountain, right, to give him more law, right? And we are at the very end of that section. We've been hearing about the tabernacle and the priesthood and all these important laws. And then here we get to chapter 31. And what does the Lord say to Moses? Above all, above all, rest. Do you know a God that says above all, rest? Is that to you the heart of who God is and what God wants for your life? That is what this text is revealing. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Rest and worship is above all. It's the key to putting things in our life to rest. So I want to talk about the Sabbath rest of the people of God and what kind of people it makes us. And I have three F's for you today. Free, fruitful, and faithful. Sabbath rest makes us free people, fruitful people, and faithful people. Free. Freedom has been the cry of the book of Exodus from the beginning, don't you know? Remember the first few sermons Russ talked about over and over again, the the word Exodus means what? The way out, right? Exodus is a story about freedom from bondage. In Exodus 8.1, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. In effect, the Lord through Moses told Pharaoh that the freedom of Israel so was so that they were no longer serving the regime of Pharaoh, but were serving in the regime of the Lord, right? 
They were serving him and worshiping him. Because Israel knew what it was like to taste the oppressiveness of harsh, unending, unjust, unpaid, overburdening labor. They knew what it was like to serve the almighty taskmaster. But when the Lord brings them out of that situation and introduces them to his regime and in his sense of time, what does he give them first in Exodus 16 to mark them out as his people? He gives them Sabbath. In Hebrew, Shabbat, from the Hebrew verb that means to cease, to stop, to put it to rest. And so God starts teaching Israel about this back in Exodus 16, if you remember, when the Israelites are crying out because they're hungry on the journey. And God gives them bread from heaven. Remember that? Manna. And it rains down. But on the sixth day, they're told to gather twice as much and bake it all and boil it all for the next day. Because when they come to God, he says, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over to lay aside to be kept till the morning on the Sabbath. See, to experience the freedom of rest, the Israelites had to make preparation. We often think that the freedom of rest is just going to come upon us in life. We're just going to downshift, and all of a sudden we'll be in a mode of rest. But see, what the scripture teaches is that you have to prepare to rest. You have to write it into your calendar. You have to put patterns in your life to get ready to shut it off and put it to rest. I remember Russ telling me these stories of growing up in rural Pennsylvania in the Baptist Church of rural Pennsylvania. And, and, and Russ's dad was the pastor, but Russ's granddad was the deacon. And Russ said his granddad would wake up every Saturday morning at 3 a.m., or I guess Sunday morning at 3 a.m., he would fry a bunch of chicken and then he would put it in the warmer in the stove so that when they got back from church, they didn't have to cook nothing, right? I try to do that myself. Uh, I, you know, if you ask my wife on Saturday night, I don't do anything on Saturday night, first of all, I don't go out. I hard boil eggs and I boil my coffee so that when I wake up in the morning, I can just rest and, and just have the food there for me, right? So finally, when the Lord brings Israel all the way to Sinai, he lays down these ten, ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and the fourth one goes like this. And the remarkable thing is the fourth commandment is the longest of all the commandments. It's the one that gets the most explanation. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. Uh, or your livestock, or the sojourner or immigrant who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What is the grounding for Israel's rest? It is to be like God. Someone has said this is the first time in all of the scripture where God says, be like me. Be holy as I am holy. Because I said from the beginning of the Bible... The Lord who made heaven and earth is presented as a creator God who rested after the work of creation. Do you remember that? On the first day, he makes some things and he says it's good. All the way to the sixth day when he makes the man and the woman. And he said, behold, I look over all of it. It is very good. I'm satisfied in my labor and I can rest. And, and the, the text here actually says he was refreshed. I don't even know what it means for God to be refreshed. That is a profound mystery. But there's something essential to who God is that is to be lived out by us, his image bearers, and that is Sabbath rest. It's above all. But this freedom of rest was not just meant to be manifested in one chosen class of the Israelites. It was for all the neighbors in the whole land. 
and not only uh, the male servants and the female servants, not only the sojourners and the aliens, but it was for the animals. It was for the land. It was, it was to teach Israel that to be working all the time, to push things to their maximum capacity for profitability and productivity's sake is not freedom. It is not wise. It is not loving. It is actually slavery. That's what they experienced in Egypt. And when God brings them out, he says, no, with me, you rest. And not only you, but all classes of workers deserve rest. All animals deserve rest. Right? Our machinery deserves rest. You know, that's how we can apply it. And see, we actually used to, to some degree, and still to some extent, we have social rhythms in our culture that help us to embrace this pattern, this seven-day pattern of setting aside time to rest. I was recently reminded by a a preacher named Tim Keller of an older article by a Jewish woman named Judith Shulovitz. And her article is called Bring Back the Sabbath. It's a really good article. And she found herself uh, in her late 20s as a secular New Yorker, And she had left the Jewish faith and practices she grew up with. And she was uh, participating in this culture of work hard, get to the top, survival of the fittest, non-religious New York life. But she found she was restless and miserable. She found that her brunch on Saturday morning or Sunday morning was not enough to restore her to a place of sanity. So she went back to the very place she thought she'd never go again, which was the synagogue, where she eventually joined and realized she was suffering from a lack of Sabbath in her life. And she reflects on the fact that American culture was heavily influenced by uh, Puritan culture, who were heavily influenced by, of course, this whole concept of the Sabbath. They were pretty dang serious about it. (laughs) And what she says is, even after that lost its hold on American culture, the American Sunday was observed with unusual strictness. As recently as 125 years ago, you would have been hard-pressed to find a museum or library open on Sunday. 80 years ago, football was considered too vulgar to be played on Sunday. (laughs) Times have changed. Oldsters remembered standing in line at the, back, at the bank on Fridays to get the cash they needed for the weekend. Youngsters assume they can withdraw at will. Sunday's been replaced by the overscheduled Sunday. Soccer Sunday, Little League Sunday, Yoga Class Sunday, Catch Up Around the House Sunday. Americans still go to church, of course, but only in between chores, sporting events, and shopping expeditions. The eclipse of the Sabbath is just one small part of the larger erosion of social time, with its former generally agreed-upon rhythms of labor and rest. After hours has become a strictly personal concept. Since the 24-hour convenience store, gas station, pharmacy, supermarket, Netflix, diner, factory, and bar all allow us to work, shop, and dine and be entertained at all times. Right? And this is the gift of technology. Right? To always be connected. Right? Ironically, today, Americans might be given more time off than before. But on the whole, we're just more restless because there are generally less agreed upon rhythms of work and rest. And we're much more anxious because we don't set aside time to rest. And that kind of restlessness doesn't just affect our minds, don't you know? It affects our moods, it affects our bodies and our physical healths too. We are a people suffering from restlessness. So God wants to free us. God wants to free his people with the practice of Sabbath rest. What does he want to free us from? Well, first, he wants to free us from the tyranny of time and the tyranny of anxious toil. As we said, right when God brings his people out of Egypt, he he begins by redefining what time even is for them. They were on a 10-day work week, a harsh one. And when God brings them out of Egypt, 
he gives them this, this practice of the Sabbath. And in Deuteronomy 5, when he gives it to them, he says, keep this so you remember that you were slaves in Egypt. We were made to work and then stop our work. In this passage, God says, above all, keep my commandment. Why? Keep the Sabbath. Why? It's a sign between you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You can rest from the tyranny of time because God is working on your behalf. Because God is in control of all things. Sabbath rest frees you from writing that email, chasing down that lead, sending that text message, being on the clock and being on the grind. How many times do we just move into situations because we're desperate to control them? Because we're desperate to stay on top of them, right? We are fighting always that temptation to be like God. Sabbath also frees us uh, from the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach or the, the slavery of inner criticism. What am I doing? How am I doing? Is this person going to be okay? Is this relationship going to be okay? Are my children going to be okay? Am I ever going to make enough money? Am I ever going to blank, blank? The amount of things that we can critique and worry about and turn over and wrestle with in our minds are so much of our bondage and slavery to anxiety. And, we, and God commands us to put them to rest, to lay them aside. But as we said, if you want to be a people free from the tyranny of time, you have to reform your calendar and your practices. God also frees his people to worship him. Let my people go that they may worship and serve me. It's such a serious command that you probably noticed twice in the passage that it's a death penalty to not follow it. And I know that made you uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. But what we've been talking about is how is a holy God going to live in the midst of a simple people? And this is the above all command that God gives them. That if I'm going to be in your midst and you're going to be like me, this is the command. It's so serious. It's so serious to know the gravity of the situation of do this and live. But a heart, and also a part of it, is because the Sabbath was so intricately connected to the whole worship scheme of Israel. That's when most of the worship happened, was on the Sabbath. So if the people are neglecting the Sabbath, they're neglecting worship. They're neglecting the sacrifices. They're neglecting paying reverence and attention to the God who's in their midst. Worship is also the heart of our Sabbath, too. We cannot rest if we don't remember the story of who we are, of who God is, and what God has done. We can't rest when we're not thankful and satisfied in the grace of our Lord. The Sabbath is the Lord's Day for Christians. It is Sunday. It begins typically and traditionally on Saturday night and goes till Sunday night. Because Sunday is the, Lord when, the day when the Father started making creation. And Sunday is the day when the Lord Jesus rose up from the dead. And Sunday is the, the day that the Spirit was sent on Pentecost. So on this day, we are to rest and remember in what God has done for us. And who we are. I, was, I used to work in a grocery store. Uh, quite a few uh, of random jobs I had while in seminary. And what I noticed about a lot of my coworkers is that for them, the rest that they built to every single week was the party on Friday night. They were people who lived uh, by that restaurant's slogan, uh, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Right? What is the rest that your schedule builds to? For us as people of God, our schedule is to build to thank God is the Sabbath. <laughs> thank God is the Sabbath. So Sabbath was, Sabbath was about freedom from the outward and inward oppression of toil and work and time. But it was also about fruitfulness. Sabbath rest is to make God's people not busy, but fruitful. 
Some researchers at the University of Wisconsin were trying to study of how, how growth happens in bones, all right? And they, they studied baby lambs, which has also, this has also been correlated to be true of human beings, especially children. And what they found was that 90% of the growth of baby lambs occurred while the baby lambs slept. Researcher Dr. Norman Wilson says, what was really interesting was that the bones were growing only when the animals were lying down. And almost no growth occurs when the lambs are standing or moving around. And that's because in the lamb's legs, there are these growth plates that stretch out the bones. But when they're standing and they're walking around, there's too much tension on those plates. So when they lie down, they are given space to grow. You see where I'm going with this? You grow when you rest. Your fruitfulness increases when you rest. In fact, part of the Sabbath law of the Old Testament, as I mentioned, is giving the land rest in the sabbatical year. Every seven years, you were not to plow the land. You can go read about this in Exodus 23. You weren't to plow the land. You were to let the land do its own thing. And whatever sprang up was to be given to the poor, either to work that land or to eat that food. It was for them. The Sabbath was for the poor. And so it says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Right? Because it might sound odd to our ears, and it sounds odd to mine because I'm not an agriculturally minded person. But here's the thing. If you do nothing but work your land and grow plants, it will suck all the nutrients out of your soil to where you can no longer grow any plants because there's no more nutrients left. It's not good for a field to be used year after year without a break because it will eventually lose all of its fruitfulness. When we neglect the discipline of Sabbath in our lives, we might be working harder, but we are not working smarter. We might be productive, we might be busy, but we are not fruitful in God's eyes. Going back to Pastor Howard John Wesley, he says, uh, he pastors in the D.C. area, of course, and he says, In the D.C. area, it is seen as a necessity to always be on the grind and on the hustle. If we're not working, you know, we have these side hustles. And, you know, it may be even running, but you invest so much like military-like uh, strategy into your running game that you're going to running classes and you're getting ready for these running races and everything becomes a hustle, right? We have equated being busy with being important because if you're not grinding, you're not important, he says. He says, as a matter of fact, go, go ask someone tomorrow and ask them, how are you doing? And then get ready to hear the list of things that they have to do because they believe that if they are busy, they are important people. But busyness is not fruitful because busyness is connected to stress, he says. And the only thing I guarantee you, he says, is that a stressed out saint is a poor witness to God. If people see you all the time and you're ripping and running and you're few short and about to cuss everybody out, how does that witness to God's peace and joy and rest in your life? Whew. You can be working for all the causes of justice and mercy in the world. You can be doing amazingly selfless work. You can, uh, but if you are not resting, you're not being selfless. You are being selfish. Because you're not honoring the body God gave you, and you are not being as fruitful as you could be. A key to growing up in Jesus is knowing often in your life you need to let things lie fallow. You need to let things go. You need to let things rest. You need to let relationships rest. You need to let situations rest. You need to let anxiety rest. Uh, you need to let some bills rest for a little bit. You come back to them later. Don't move always into, well, you know, within time. I'm just saying. You need to pray. You need to rest. And we'll often find that growth and fruitfulness and healing take place when we 
are sleeping in God's power and presence. So, so some application of this is put some margin in your life, people of God, and not just for your sake, for your neighbor's sake. Keep a Sabbath. For most of you, it's absolutely best to keep the Sabbath that we as a community keep, Saturday night to Sunday night. Grind on Saturday all day if you have to, to be able to disconnect on Sunday and rest with, your, with the people of God. Some of you are, are nurses and other things, or maybe you're preachers, and you can't quite rest on Sunday. Give yourself another Sabbath. Put habits of rest in your life. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, said, the habits of restlessness have taken years to learn. It's taken you years to, to know how to lay up in your bed anxious at night. It's taken you years to first thing in the day pull out your phone and check the news and see uh, whatever somebody said on Twitter. <laughs> You've taken time to learn habits of restlessness, people of God, and it's going to take time to learn habits of rest. Embrace the Sabbath for one another and as a community. Let other people rest. Don't encroach on people's rest. Don't make people feel bad for resting. Don't make people feel bad for going on vacation. She says, what if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested? People who embrace our limits with zeal and even joy. Put email responders on. Turn your notifications off. Just don't even pick up your phone. Free up time. Give your time away. This, this principle of don't work your field all the way, right? Don't work your field always. Don't use all your money on yourself. Just give your money away. Give yourself margin. Give yourself rest. The Sabbath is for the poor, after all, over and over again in the Old Testament. Know that you grow most when you are asleep. An application of this sermon is sleep and sleep well. Take naps, especially on Sundays. Can someone say amen? amen. For Christians, the act of ceasing and relaxing into sleep is an act of reliance upon God. I was recently on a trip, and I was eating lunch with the friend who I was going to room with at the hotel. We had never uh, roomed with uh, each other before. We were on this trip for the assembly of our denomination or whatever. And I'm out for lunch uh, with him that day before our, our first night staying in that hotel room. You know, it's one of those two-bed rooms. And he says to me over lunch, yeah, the last people I stayed up with, they basically got no sleep because I snore so bad. So if you hear me snoring, just tap me on the shoulder and tell me to stop. I was a little bit surprised by this news. So I went out to the store. And I bought me some heavy-duty earplugs and, and, a, and a bright teal eye mask. Because I said, I'm going to prepare to rest. Amidst all the distractions in my life and in that hotel room, I'm going to shut myself off and prepare to rest. And let me tell you, I sleep every night with that eye mask now. It's bright pink, and it has those, those little, I don't know. Anyway, you don't need to know. But the eye mask has become a symbol to me of shutting things off. It forces me to close my eyes. I can't look around. I can't look at my alarm clock. You all need eye masks in your life is what I'm trying to say. Maybe literally, but maybe metaphorically. Shut things down. Put them to rest. That email is going to be okay without you for a day. That situation is going to be okay without you for a day. That relationship is going to be okay if you don't tend to it for a day. But in our rhythms of our culture, it's just weird. We are so anxious about letting things go and resting in God's presence. But you can only be free and fruitful and rest if you know the one who is in control. Lastly, you can only be full of faith if you know the one who in control is faithful to you. 
Listen to verse 12 of this passage again. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath. Because it's holy for you. We've been talking about the story of God's Sabbath in relationship to the week of creation. But the Sabbath is also about the story of redemption. They were to Sabbath to remember that God, by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, when they were unable to save themselves, had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. God says, I am the one who makes you holy. Before God gives Israel any of the law, any of the Ten Commandments, if you remember the preface to the Ten Commandments, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? And when God brought them out of the land of Egypt in Exodus 14, they were anxious and fearful. And Moses said to them from God, he says, fear not, stand firm. You will see the salvation of God work for you today. The Egyptians will be defeated. You have only to be still. This is the universal witness of who God is, people of God. My God is a battle fighter. He is a redeemer. He is a victor for the powerless. He is the one that bears the load that the people never could. And this is the universal witness of who God is that leads you to the Son of God hanging on the cross, bringing not the work of creation, when God said it is very good after each day, but the work of redemption to its completion. When he had fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, when he had resisted the temptation of the devil, when he had healed the sick, when he had restored sight to the blind, when he had restored everything that was needed for your and I salvation, when he was about to gasped his last breath of his sacrificial atoning death. He looks over the work he has done. And what does he say? It is finished. And then he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Jesus rested from his labor so that you can rest from yours. Jesus has brought about a new creation. He has refreshed and he has recreated everything. And on Sunday, the spirit of God rose him up. Jesus looks after Jesus looks over all the shame and accusation and anxious toil of your life and he says, put it to rest. It is finished. So you can see why the the writer of Hebrews 4 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Because Moses didn't give the people rest. Joshua didn't give the people rest. David didn't give the people rest. It was Jesus. You're not the driver of your life, people of God. You are the passenger. And if you know you're not in control, ultimately... You can, like Howard John Wesley's father, sleep because you trust the one who's in control. So remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.